0: Come and see. Come and see the one that saw Nathaniel before he had ever met Nathaniel in person. Come and see the light. Come and see the one that has life in himself. Come and see the Word made flesh who's dwelt among us. Come and see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Come and see the Christ The Messiah, that is the anointed one, the sent one of God. Come and see. In our text, we see a movement of men that meet Jesus, that understand who Jesus is, and they're compelled to go and find others that they may also come to know Jesus, to come and see. That is our idea this morning, that I pray from the text would bloom in our heart's in greater ways than they are at this moment. In my life, that I would more long to see people come to be found. That I would more long to see people know Jesus. That that would grow into a greater desire than it is today. As a congregation, that that would become our prayer and our hope and our embrace of our identity to be a people called and commissioned by God to point other people to come and to find Jesus come and see Jesus he's worth your life come and follow him give your life to him confess your sin to him and trust yourself to him come and partake in Jesus that's the good news that God has for us this morning see our identity that God has given us is to be a people who help others to find Jesus Disciples who are making disciples, found people who are helping to find people. That is a reward that God gives us. Scriptures present us as we are a people who are forgiven of our sins, and therein we're expected to forgive much. As found people, we are expected to find people, to partake, to join God, to be used of God in this great work of proclaiming and speaking of Jesus. So as you open your Bibles with me, To this text this morning as we finish off John chapter 1, we're going to note very quickly at the very beginning this idea that we see in the text that found people love to find people. Found people love to find people. Then we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning walking through this text observing and answering the question, how exactly might we go about finding people? How might we go about whether we're a child or an adult? Male or female? How might we go about finding people? And the the Scripture gives us here two key aspects. First, we're going to note that we have to see people. We have to see people first. And once we see them, we have to be willing to speak to them. This is not an overly complex text. It's not an overly complex sermon. But, That does not mean it is not weighty and challenging. It may elicit within you an anxiety when it comes to speaking to others about Jesus. But it's your identity. This is who you are now as a found person called to find people, as a congregation of found people gathering together, commissioned to go and to find people, to proclaim the glory of God. So note first that found people love to find people. Found people love to find people. It's right there in your bulletin. We'll just observe several of those patterns that we see in these few verses that Ben, one of our elders, read for us. We saw that John the Baptist, he helped Andrew to find Jesus. Remember, John gives this declaration. John is the forerunner, a witness sent to bear witness. And John, as Jesus walks by, he says, Behold the Lamb of God. His disciples, one of them, Andrew, leaves and follows after Jesus. So John the Baptist helped Andrew to find Jesus. We see that Andrew then goes right to his brother and he helps his brother, Simon, find Jesus. We see that Jesus finds Philip, who then helps Nathanael to find Jesus. This is the pattern we see through the Gospels. And even though in these situations, the one that introduced him to Jesus will stay with them, or none of these individuals are cut free and go do their own thing, but later on when we do see that that's the case, When the demoniac, the man with the demons is is healed and comes to believe in Jesus and is freed the Lord sends him back to his people and he can't help but tell people about Jesus. It's it's part of their identity. So if you're like me, anytime we come to a text that has an evangelistic purpose a major oomph that means we're going to have to leverage our relationships and our introvertedness and our fear of telling people about Jesus there's usually an aspect of confession that comes with it because we're we may rarely do so we may have been following Jesus for decades and never verbally told anyone about Jesus but don't live in shame of past confess it to the Lord and joyfully say Lord from this Stay forward, help me to embrace my identity that you've given me as a found person committed to finding people to introduce to you. So this is a good news message for us. Found people love to find people. So let's answer the question, how can we help people to find Jesus? How can we help people to find Jesus? First, we have to see them. We have to see them. Where should we look? Well, first, we should literally look around. There's three locations we see in the text where you and I can gain insights as found people, called to find people, three insights of where we should look if we're going to see people. First, we should literally look around. I'm amazed that nobody in here literally just looked around. It begins in our congregation. You realize every Sunday we gather together, there's, there's probably a number of people that don't know Christ. Christ. So we literally look around wherever we're at. This is a present active command for us. That's to mark our lives, to literally pause and to look around. That's what Jesus does. Did you see that in verse 38? Jesus turned around and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? So Jesus chooses to stop turn around and to see these former disciples of John the Baptist now following after them and he engaged them you and I will never engage somebody if we don't stop and see them in John chapter 4 verse 35 Jesus will tell his disciples behold behold look lift up your eyes and see for the field is white for harvest stop and look Tomorrow, at this time, at 11.16, every one of us, in all likelihood, will look, stop, lift up our eyes and look, and every one of us will see a different person. You realize that? And not one of those situations is by accident. We have to be willing to stop and to look around and to see people. One of the greatest gifts that we have that God has placed us, where He's placed us in 2020, In this community, one of the greatest blessings that we have is a wealth of technology. So what can be a great tool for ministry and life can also be a massive distraction for obeying this first component of where we ought to look. For the benefit of technology, it's in your hand. It's handy. The problem is it's in your hand. And if it's in our hand, where are our eyes? We're not looking around. The same with our earbuds that we put in. We can sit in a coffee shop and listen to a sermon or a podcast about sharing the gospel and ignore a whole room of people in whom we could be sharing the gospel with. You know what I'm talking about? We can be so distracted so easily, so consumed, that we don't do this simple component that Jesus does as He stops and He looks around. He looks at the men that are following Him. And now you might say, well, those men are already following after Jesus. He simply had to turn and look, but... But I think we all know that we are surrounded by people every day in whom the Spirit of God may be already working, leading them on the road to following after Jesus if we will but first see them. Because we're not going to speak to somebody we don't see. So, God, would you give us boldness and wisdom to see other people? Practically, each of us live in a different place unless you rode here with the person that you came with. That's an exception to the rule. But we each have different neighbors, different people in our apartments, different people around us. God gave each of us those unique people for a reason. So how can we stop and look around in the neighborhoods in which we presently live? Well, here's a suggestion. Here's a challenge for you. Would you make cookies this week? And I can't believe nobody said amen to that, right? Would you make cookies this week? And eat some for quality control purposes. Right. And then the rest, just take them, put them on a little plate, wrap them up, four or five apiece, and just go take them to your neighbor and, and, and meet your neighbor. Some of you know your neighbors, but there's probably some neighbors you don't know. And Just introduce yourself. Share who you are and just say, you know what, I just wanted to take a minute. I was at church this morning, I just wanted to take a minute this week to get to know my neighbors, and tell them about yourself. Tell them about the things that you value. And look around. If you don't make connections to your neighbors at some point, there's this awkwardness. Some of, you, some of us, we have lived near our neighbors for like two years and you've never met them before. And so how do you address that? Just engage it like that. You know what? I, I don't think I've ever taken the time to get to know you. And give them the cookies. And look around. And the next time you see them, do you know what's going to happen? Instead of running off into our garage or running into our home, we're going to stop and we're going to look around. So how can we help people find Jesus first? We have to see them. So first, literally look around. Second, we note from this text, an insight, that we ought to look at our family. Look at your family. Verse 41, look at your family. He, Andrew, he first found his brother Simon. How neat is that? He hears who Jesus is, and he can't help himself. He goes to his brother right away. He cannot wait to tell him this good news. And so he seeks him out. Now for us, this may be an awkward text. Our culture presents the idea that one thing you do not talk about with family is what? Don't talk about faith. You can talk about how the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl this week, but don't talk about faith. I'm probably going to weave in about 15 of those today, so get ready for it, okay? But we cannot do that. We cannot allow ourselves to play by these rules in which we create a category that Scripture does not give us. All people need to be found by Jesus. All people need Jesus. So if we put our family into an exemption list, if we make the bonds of family stronger than the bonds of obedience to Christ, we'll find ourselves in disobedience and discontentment. And that's not how God made us. So it's a point of wisdom. I know all of we pray for our family members, and we should pray for our family members. So how might we go about, if, if you've not talked about Christ very much with your family, and maybe you've been walking after Jesus, walking with Jesus for a number of years, and yet you've never really articulated your faith, here's, here's a suggestion for how you might engage in one of those conversations. In a one-on-one setting, Just share, listen. There's something I've never really explained to you before. And it's at the center of my life. It filters all my decisions and all my life that I try. And I don't hold it perfectly, but it's called good news. And it's this word, the gospel. Can I just explain to you what that means in just a couple minutes? And they're going to say yes. Yes and just explain to them the basics of the gospel. How do we share the gospel? It's how our services are oriented. Tell them about God. He's holy, and He's good, and He's faithful. He's all-powerful, and He's just. He's righteous in all His ways. And God, in His love, He created man, God-man. He created us for relationship with Himself, that we would glorify Him and know Him and steward all the resources and aspects of our life Under his rule and for his good. But when we look around, we know there's brokenness everywhere outside of us and inside of us. And we are broken and we do broken things and I do broken things and I am unable to be those things we talked about who God is holy and right and good. I'm broken. And that's bad news. But that word gospel means good news. It's good news because God, man, Christ. And tell them about the love of God that we know that God would so love us, would so love them, that He would send His Son, His Holy Son who would take on flesh, would dwell among us, would live a sinless life, the full demands of the law, He would keep them all live in complete righteousness, and He would lay His life down on the cross, fulfilling the mission perfectly, obeying the Father perfectly, that we might have life in Him. He laid His life down on the cross. He defeated death. He paid our punishment. He took the death and guilt that should have been laid upon me. And He gloriously rose from the dead, bodily, he walked the earth and He taught and He commissioned His disciples to go and to make disciples, make learners, followers of Jesus. And a day will come in which He will come again in glory. Do you know Him? Do you have life by His name? Have you ever turned and placed your faith and trust in Him? Have you ever responded to this good news and become a follower of Jesus? God banned Christ's response. Then the rest of our lives as believers is lives of response. Living and abiding in the good news and the hope that we have in Him. That's the gospel message we're called to share. By God's grace, may we never put our family in a separate category that says they're off limits. So here's practical advice for you. We did this for the first time this December. We were very mindful when we went back to Missouri. And we just said, listen, we're going to go back like we're missionaries. And many of our family members are believers, and many of them are not. And we just said, listen, we're going to go back as missionaries. Because, you know, missionaries don't go into the field thinking, what can I get out of this trip? They don't go into the field thinking, let me be entertained. Let me get all the things that I want. Missionaries go into the field aiming to love people and to point them to Jesus, to engage people winsomely and with wisdom, but they come on mission. Every family gathering that you have, and for us it was an unbelievable visit back because of that was our mindset as missionaries, but that's the mindset we're all to have, has found people who are called to find people. So students, every time you go home for break, God sends you then as missionaries into your home settings. Every time we gather for holidays, God sends you as a missionary. Where do we look? We look around literally. We look at our family. And third, we look as we intentionally go places. We have to see them. Verse 43, the next day Jesus, the Greek really doesn't tell us the subject. The translators put Jesus here, which I think it probably is, but it could be Andrew. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Life as we know it is an intentional set of movements. Jesus intentionally goes places. Last week we saw that he went to Bethany. Whether it's he or Andrew, either one of them, they're, they're traveling intentionally. Life is a set of intentional destinations, isn't it? You will intentionally go to work. You intentionally came here this morning. Or somebody netted you and pulled you in. I don't know how you got here exactly. I would assume you intentionally came here. Life is a set of intentional destinations. But if you're like me and you're not an intentional and setting your heart and your mind before you go to that destination, you'll just, you'll just get there. And you'll do whatever you were going to do there, and then you'll just get wherever you're going next. We will never see people like that. We will rarely ever see people like that. But by God's grace, would we assume the eyes like Jesus? Would we see people like Jesus? Would we be intentional as we go places? As we follow Jesus' ministry through the Gospel of John, we will see His movements and His interactions with people on the way. That God would bless us as individuals and as a congregation increasingly just to pray an intentional, short, one-sentence prayer. God, as I go to shop, help me to see people. God, as I go to work today, help me to see people. God, help me to see people as I go to class today. God, help me to see people as I run this errand. Everything we do, if we pray beforehand, God, would you give me eyes to see people. It will change dramatically, not only our lives, but this community. If that becomes the prayer of of, of those in First Christian, if that becomes the prayer of those in that Bible and other Bible teaching congregations, how different will our community grow to be? And at the very least, North Street will be a much more pleasant place to drive. Right. So God, give us eyes to see people, but don't just give us eyes to see them. Give us boldness to be willing to speak to them. That's second. So how can we help people find Jesus? First, we have to be willing to see them. Second, we have to be willing to speak to them. We're going to note here four different Insights to how we might speak to somebody. Four insights. First, use questions. Use questions. Jesus is the greatest that uses questions, isn't He? Oh, all the time, people that try to entrap Him, He uses the questions and flips it upside down, doesn't He? All the time. He uses questions to reveal motives of people that they did not know they had. He uses questions to stop the the gravity of somebody's behavior instantly and to reassess everything in light of who he is. There's a ton of questions we could have gone through, but one book that I would encourage you to buy if you're, if you're into that and you're building your library is a book by Greg Kokel called Tactics, Tactics, a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions. It's a great book. In it, it's filled with not only helpful questions to be armed with as a believer, but a mindset of questions that we take, that we use to become better listeners in our lives. Questions that we can use. Students, I would encourage you and professors and others that are a part of the university as a regular routine to your week, God has given you an unbelievable opportunity to have questions this week. To use a question to launch into a spiritual conversation. Do you know what it is? It was the folks that came to campus this week. The group from Wells, I believe, they came to campus. If you didn't know that, it was in the pine log, it was all over the place. I mean it was everywhere, a buzz. Of course, you we look at that and you may you may groan at that. But guess what? God has maybe what man used for evil, God can use from good. God can take that for you to engage somebody with the gospel this week. Because everybody on campus knows about it, right? There's a group, if you didn't know, there's a group that comes to campus and screams at students and does different things like that. And so here's how I would encourage you to do a way you might do so prayerfully. As you go to class and you interact with others individually, to share with them, did you see that group that came to campus last week? And they're going to talk and listen. And share with them, you know, one of my concerns, one of my biggest concerns about that is that it will cause people to to misunderstand the gospel. Has anybody ever explained to you the gospel? God, man, Christ response. Walk through the gospel. Another question you might use is, you know what, those people that were here last week, what what do you think their message is? What do you understand it to be? The gospel means good news. Has anybody ever explained it to you before? Oh, that God would give us boldness to ask questions. Secondly, as we see people, we speak to people, we want to ask questions, and secondly, we want to listen to them. Listen. Verse 48, we saw that Jesus answered him. He listened to Nathaniel, and then he responded to Nathaniel in a greater way than Nathaniel could have imagined. But he listened and responded, Jesus As the eternal Son of God in flesh. He knows the hearts of men. And yet he listens. What an insight. To be able to listen. It's hard, isn't it? Listening is one of the hardest things to do. When it comes to engaging people and speaking to them as we ask questions... Listen. We were talking about that staff meeting this week. Sometimes uh, when we listen, we're simply waiting to see how we're going to take our next step, right? When we're going get to a, get a point in instead of just listening. I'll give you an example, a kind of a confession in my life of one evangelistic engagement the Lord gave me a multitude of times. There was a, a grandson of a woman that was connected to a, our church there in Missouri. And he was a, I had a lot of classes that dealt with Muslim apologetics and engaging uh, Muslims of the Gospel. And she connected to me, and his name is Muhammad. And our first meeting together, because I had three different classes that were on this, I had a pretty good understanding, I thought. So in in getting together with Muhammad, our first couple coffee times, instead of me listening to Muhammad and where the Lord was working at in his life and his heart, I was teaching him what he was supposed to be believing as a Muslim so that I could engage with what I was equipped to engage with. Like, no, no, Muhammad, you're not supposed to, you have a problem with the Trinity, right? And he'd be like, I don't, I don't know. You do, Muhammad, let me explain it to you. You're, <laughs> let me explain the problem that you have. Let me give you the problem you're supposed to have, and then I'll engage that. And we went to coffee for several weeks in a row, and And I was way behind what the Spirit of God was already doing in his life because I didn't take time for so many of those engagements to just stop and listen. We can make that mistake on a regular basis instead of listening to the people around us and what the Lord may already be doing in their life and their heart or the nuanced view they have. We can try to engage something they don't accurately believe. So a gift that God gives us in this is to be able to, like Jesus, listen. Pray the Spirit would give us insight and wisdom to be able to respond with winsomeness. So ask questions, second, listen, and third, tell them what you know. Use questions, listen, and tell them what you know. Look at these confessions given, 41, 45, 49. Look what they say. They say what they know. It's not long. Andrew tells his brother, we have found the Messiah. Philip tells Nathanael, we have found him of whom the law and prophets wrote. Nathaniel tells Jesus, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. How quickly we can overthink it when it comes to finding people, can't we? We go through this amazing chess game in our mind of, but if I say this, what if they say, and then what will I say? And we want to be equipped, we want to learn, we want to grow. But listen, we know enough, to be able to speak, we know at least enough is what Andrew, Philip, and Nathaniel said. Never underestimate what the Spirit of God can do. The conversion is of the Lord, but we can present who we know. We know Jesus. We know His Word. Let's tell you about Him, and as they ask questions, deal with them as they come along. But never underestimate what God can do with a simple message. So children, listen, never underestimate what God can do with your faithfulness to speak about Jesus. Jonah, do you remember Jonah's sermon? Jonah gives an eight-word sermon. In Hebrews, it's just five words. He gives a five-word sermon to people who were generationally haters of God. Generationally, just, just really, really bad stuff that they had done. He begrudgingly shares an eight-word sermon. Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And do you know what God did with an eight-word sermon? In Jonah 3.5 it says, And all the people of Nineveh believed God. Do you think if the Spirit of God can use a, a Hebrew five-word sermon? Do you think you and I know enough to be able to share? We do. So the one thing I'll say about a question, if you get a question you're worried, what if they ask me something I don't know? That's okay. Share with them this. If you don't know the answer to that question, listen, I'm going to go and research that question and look that up and I'll get back to you. But if I answer your question, will you turn from your sin and place your faith and trust in Jesus to be the Savior and King of your life? So go to answer their question, but leave them with that question. Because that's the Gospel. Take every question back to the gospel, for it's the power of all who believe, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Use questions, listen, tell them what you know, and finally, make their next step clear. Make their next step clear. Look at all these clear next steps in our text. In verse 39, Jesus says to the two disciples of John that are now following, he says, come and you will see. That's a very clear next step. Andrew physically uh, uh, brought him physically to Jesus. This is verse forty-two. He brought him to Jesus. Very clear next step. Verse forty-three. Philip is told, "Follow me." Very clear next step. Forty-six. Philip told Nathaniel, "Come and see." Come and see. It's a very clear next step. And Jesus affirms what Nathaniel has rightly done. He says, "Do you believe?" As in, in, a, in a way of saying, "You believe." Do you believe you will see greater things than these? Then down to verse 50, you will see heaven opened and angels of God descending on the Son of Man. Now, your Bible probably tells you, if you look at the bottom, you probably have a footnote in there that references Genesis 28. It's the Jacob ladder scene. And Jesus tells him in this incredible text, I encourage you to go read Genesis 28. In Genesis 28, Jacob has this vision. He sees angels from heaven descending ascending on this place. And what Jesus does is Jesus references that, but where does this ladder, if you will, descend upon? To whom does it descend upon? Not a place, a person. Jesus. We don't know everything, but we know enough. Point them to Jesus. Point them to Jesus. Make their next steps clear. And the next steps is the next steps of this book. It's the next steps of the Gospel of John. And what does John say in the writing of this book? I have written these things to you so that you may believe. So that you may believe. The next steps, as we talk about God, man, Christ response, is to ask them to respond to believe in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. And as believers in Christ, the next step for our day today is Lord, will you help me to believe in you? and my relationships to live obediently to you. To in boldness be a person who is found, who longs to find people to know you. That's the gift and the calling and the identity that God has given us. Just as John the Baptist was a witness to bear witness, we are found people called to go and to find people of the good news that we have in Jesus. Isn't that good news? This is a Lord's Supper Sunday. As we talk about our next steps, and I understand for some of us, the reality is you may not have found Jesus yet. This may be the day in which you find Jesus. That you turn from your self-lordship and and, and leadership and your sin and you place your faith and trust in Jesus. You entrust yourself to Jesus to save you and to lead your life. For me, it was a Lord's Supper Sunday when I was a six-year-old guy. Kid. You don't usually call kids guys. I was six years old. Sat through the service. Asked my dad why I couldn't partake. Went home. He was watching football. I was standing beside his recliner. He was probably watching the Chiefs. Probably not on their way to the Super Bowl that year. But I asked him, and he, he said, I'll explain it to you when we get home. We got home, and he explained the basics of the gospel, the good news, the basics of what's represented here. The body representing the Son of God who would come, This Lamb the spilt blood that will need to happen by the Lamb because of my sin against God. That as we eat and drink, so too represents we coming and believing that we've come and believed in Jesus. And God used this to spark a curiosity in my soul I didn't know I needed and had in following after Jesus. So as the men come forward, I'm going to ask our next steps questions. And the next steps questions for us is, is this. First, if you've found Jesus and never shared this publicly through baptism, would you let us know? Tell us on a connect card. Come forward at the end and share it with a pastor or staff member here. Share it with an elder on your way out. Put it on a connect card so we can follow up with you to help declare your faith publicly through the waters of baptism. Second, this week with someone inside our congregation and outside of our congregation, would you share with them how you came to find Jesus? Tell us about that. Tell someone about that. Just share the goodness of how you came to know Jesus. Inside our congregation and outside. And finally, pray that God would grow our love and our longing to see people find Jesus. What a prayer to daily and regularly pray. Because what we're about to partake of is one of the greatest, the greatest meal we could ever partake of. It is the Thanksgiving meal, it is a meal in which we who are one in Christ are able to partake of. This is a meal in which we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Until He comes. It's a meal we partake of humbly as recipients. We don't demand this meal. We're invited to this meal by the Lord Jesus. And for hundreds and hundreds of years, believers have gathered around together to partake of this meal that was once observed in the context of the Passover to be observed by believers in Jesus Christ remembering Him and proclaiming Him, their unity and oneness with God through Jesus. So we do so not in isolation, not individually, but we do so together as a congregation of people, proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes, that we have been united with Him in Christ. So if that's not true for you, if you've not yet trusted in Christ, I call you, will you respond to trust in Jesus? And if you've not responded to trust in Jesus as it passes in front of you, let it be a reminder that if you will but turn and trust in Him, if you will but receive Him, you will become one of His adopted, found ones. What a gift this morning. What a gift. Let me pray before we open it together and partake. Oh Lord, we give You glory. We thank You for the hope that we have in Christ. We thank You for the joy that we have of enjoying this supper that You have found us that we are forgiven in Jesus. We proclaim Jesus. We thank you for the forgiveness that is ours in Christ. We thank you that you give us the people sitting beside us and around us to partake of this together as those whose sins have been washed away. We love you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said together. Amen.